Join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your word. We ask that you would speak to us through it. And having spoken to us, Lord, you would find us obedient and responsive, enthusiastically obedient and responsive. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Pastored a church in Woodland Park, Colorado for several years. And uh, what happened over a course of time was this church accumulated lots of people named Bob. Lots of guys named Bob. Now, my oldest granddaughter, who just finished her first year of medical school, how in the world does that happen? Was about one or two at the time. And she learned to distinguish between the Bobs. She called one Mr. Bob. That was the Bob that gave her chewing gum whenever she asked for it. She talked about a guy named Mary's Bob. Um, uh, Mary's Bob was a former space shuttle astronaut who had been married to, was married to our church administrator, uh, my very good friends. And so there was Mr. Bob, there was Mary's Bob, and then there was the other Bob. The other Bob was the guy who played drums in our worship band. See, she knew they were all named Bob, but she had recognized that they were different people with different personalities who functioned in her life in different ways. So I want us to keep that in mind this morning as we reconsider from last week this call that you and I all have to sow seed. Remember the mandate from Christ to be active in sharing our faith. It's expected behavior. Mark chapter 4, verse 26. A man scatters seed. It's an assumption about people who know Jesus from that parable. And it's all over the Gospels. It's all over the book of Acts. Each of which... As you heard Pastor Laura read this morning, each of which has their own version of what we call the Great Commission. When we say the words Great Commission, we often think of Matthew 28, 19, go and make disciples of all nations. But you heard Pastor Laura, Mark chapter 16, go into all the world and preach the good news. Luke chapter 24, you are my witnesses. John chapter 21, chapter 20, excuse me, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will be, not you should be, not you ought to be, not you might be, not you could be, but you will be my witnesses. And so this is supposed to be, for believers in Jesus, a natural expression of the good thing that God has done for us in Christ. And we recall from last week all those stories in the Gospel of Mark of all those people with whom Jesus interacted and all the ways they were healed of of, of amazingly uh, destructive things. The man who was possessed by a demon in chapter 5 of Mark. Uh, the healing of Jairus' daughter in Mark chapter, uh, Mark chapter 5. Uh, the healing in chapter 7 of Mark, the Gospel of Mark of the, the man who had been, uh, was deaf and mute. Uh, Jesus, remember that last one? Jesus ordered the guy to keep quiet, but he couldn't keep his mouth shut about the reality of the work of Jesus in his life. So this is not an accessory in the life of a believer in Christ. And though we are all not Billy Graham, who I am sure is enjoying streets of gold and hanging out with Jesus and having a very good time this morning, we're not all him and his specific ministry of evangelism, but we are all called to be witnesses of Christ, witnesses to the reality that Jesus has done a work in our lives. And so last week we talked about old Michael W. Smith and his song, One Thing I Know, Everybody... Everybody has a seed to sow. But as we move on to thinking about this, we need to be reminded of that reality that my granddaughter knew about all those bombs, that there are some differences about us that impact this, and there are some things about the gospel message that we need to know for sure, we need to kind of hold on to. So 
we need to be reminded that the gospel can be offensive all by itself. In fact, in the book of Galatians, chapter 5, the Apostle Paul puts it this way. He says, there is an offense of the cross. You've heard of oxymorons, right? Airline uh, bistro lunches. Uh, military t- intelligence, which I take offense to, quite frankly. My... Um, Kansas City Royals win. Thought I'd throw that out there and see how it landed. It's not well. <laughs> oh, sometimes I crack myself up. What can I say? Here's another oxymoron. The gospel is offensive in its inclusive exclusivity. Inclusive exclusivity. It is clear, it is crystal clear from the Bible that God's desire is for all people to embrace him in faith. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. God is not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. John chapter 6, verse 37. Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all who are burdened. This is a worldwide call, and it is inclusive, massively inclusive. But it's also exclusive. Because it's crystal clear that God has one plan, And that one plan is Jesus. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, this is Peter speaking. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Acts chapter 2, verse 21, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. See, here it is, inclusive exclusivity. Whoever will may come, but when we come, we come to Jesus on his terms. And that's offensive all by itself. That can be offensive to, be, to people. This call is also offensive in its requirement that we face up to our sin and acknowledge our incapacity to deal with our sin. Have you ever accidentally written on a dry erase board with a permanent marker? Have you ever done that? I've done that. And it is there. I don't care what all those people on the internet say. You cannot get that stuff off of there. You have no power to do it. You can erase it. You can wash it. You can squirt it down. What you end up doing is just ruining the surface for any other writing on it. When you and I sin... We write in permanent marker that you and I do not have the capacity to erase. But God can miraculously make that dirtied up whiteboard clean again. We can't do it. Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 26. We all have sinned. That little three-letter word. Annoying. We all have sinned. We are justified by grace We have redemption through Christ. It is his sacrifice of atonement. It is through faith. So, this call is also offensive, and it's call for radical change. Remember Jesus talking to Nicodemus at night in the Gospel of John, saying you must be born again? Do you remember 
the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 29, the Apostle Paul says that we are called to be continually, daily, better conformed to the image of Jesus. Here's the thing. Today, I should look a little more like Jesus than I did yesterday. Tomorrow, I should look a little more like Jesus than I do today. And this call is also offensive in its requirement that we are radically to be other-centered. John chapter 15, verse 13, a verse that resonates particularly on Memorial Day. Greater love has no one than this, than that he lay down his life for his friends. I read yesterday a story, I don't know if you remember this, back, uh, back in March of 2020. There was a story about a a choir in the Pacific Northwest. They went to choir practice one night. I think there were 52 people in the choir. Within about a week, about 40 of them had come down with COVID. Several of them were hospitalized with severe COVID illness. Two of the choir passed away. Do you remember that? It was a profoundly impactful story, and it began to raise our awareness that speaking and singing in particular had the capacity to spread the virus in ways that we didn't even know about that. So I read this story yesterday. This choir is now thinking about how to get to back together to, to, to rehearse together in person. They've been rehearsing over Zoom, which, as everybody will tell you, is not the best format for that. But the choir is now divided between people who want to get back together, whether people have had vaccinations or not. And people who say, we just shouldn't do that. And others who say, if you do that, I don't think I can come. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Lay down our lives? Are you kidding? We can't even lay down our preferences half the time. We can't even lay down our opinions half the time. But this call from, the, from Jesus about the gospel is offensive in its requirement that we, we be radically centered on other people and their needs. So the bottom line is the gospel is offensive all by itself. It does not need any help from you and me to be offensive. So, with that in mind, and given the particularities of people that we talked about from, my observations, from the observations of my granddaughter, how do we not do this? How do we not share the gospel? How should we not do it? We should not do it with an insensitive presentation that offends people. I still remember, I may have shared this story with you, I was living in Germany, and one day I got a knock on the door... And I opened the door. There's this young man, very earnest-looking young man, who I didn't even say hi. He opened his mouth with the words, Are you saved? And I could not get a word in edgewise from there. So he went on to his pre-canned, fill in the name of the recipient, uh, personalized uh, edition of the gospel. You've all seen this, experienced this, right? Just they had no idea who I was, where I had come from. It didn't matter. He was going to share the gospel, by golly, if it killed him or me. And so I, I got, he got like three quarters of the way through it. And I finally said, stop! I'm a believer in Jesus. And he looked at me like, well, okay. 
Maybe. All right. Okay, thanks, see ya. And then he walked across the hall, and he knocked on that door. I knew exactly what was going to happen, but I shut my door and went back into the apartment because, you know what, this guy had no idea that, as earnest as he was, and I have no doubt about the sincerity of his belief in Jesus, he just had no idea that it might be a good idea to get to know people before you start sharing the gospel with them. At least find out their names. That might be helpful. We're supposed to be people who, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, are people who speak the truth in love. We're supposed to be people who build others up according to their needs. We're supposed to be people who, in Colossians chapter 4, are described as full of grace. And in Peter's first letter in the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, he says we should always be prepared to share the reality of what God has done in our lives, but we should do it, here's his words, with gentleness and respect. Hi. Are you saved? It's not that it's a, the question is wrong. Is the context of the presentation of the question that doesn't let people even engage with the question on kind of a relational understanding kind of level. So we shouldn't do it with insensitive presentation. We also should not do it in ways that do not fit us. Now, I've lost a little weight over the last year. <clears throat> there are a couple of points in time along the way where my pants wouldn't fit me anymore. And if I didn't have a belt on, they would fall down. Well, nobody wants that. So, you know, I had to invest in some pants that fit. We should invest in our gospel presentation and our sharing of Christ in ways that fit us. God has created each of you, each of us, individually. He is marked out our genetic construct. He has marked out our, our, his hopes for our personality development, although some of us resist that strongly. We should share the gospel in, in ways that fit us. My first ride in a combat jet fighter was in an FB-111. It was in England. When you ride in a combat jet fighter like the FB-111, which can do supersonic and maneuver all kinds of crazy different ways, you have to be fitted for what's called a G-suit. It's a suit that helps you adjust to the super-powered gravity forces that you're going to experience when you're in one of these planes and flying it so that you don't, you know, pass out and crash. What happens is when you begin to experience those accelerated gravitational forces is the G-suit begins to squeeze. It pumps air into parts of your body. It squeezes the blood vessels so that you get blood to the brain and you don't pass out. That's the whole point of it. But each G-suit has to be specifically fitted to the person. Otherwise, you have these gaps and it doesn't work. They fit uniquely. Well, God has designed, again, each of us uniquely. And you may have some questions from time to time about some of those designs. But we each have unique personality, unique spiritual gifts, unique occupations, unique geography, unique relational connections, unique opportunities. He has formed us. We are his great design. 
God's plan is that we use those uniquenesses that he has given to us and participate with him in his grandest possible adventure by showing folks the reason for the hope that we have. Christians live different lives and we are in different places and, and, and we wonder sometimes about the experiences that God has packed into our lives and why, you know, that's our favorite question, isn't it? Why? And it's usually why me, because, you know, we have somebody else we should offer up for these particular experiences. Take that person over there. But he uses those things so that we can invite people to know the real Jesus who meets us in the middle of real life and leads us toward what the Apostle John called in John chapter 10, verse 10, life to the full. And it's still the case today that the most effective communication of the gospel to people is based on relational credibility. And it's always been the case. Yeah, Billy Graham had a million people in a stadium. But it was always the case at a Billy Graham evangelistic presentation that he had recruited scores of personal counselors who dealt with people who might have come forward and took them off, got to know them individually, got to talk to them in a personal kind of way, got them connected to a a local church that would get to know them as people and invite them into real relationship with the real Jesus who meets us in the middle of real life. It's always been the way. There are other tools at our disposal to help communicate invitation to the gospel. Sure, and some of those tools are magnificent tools. And some of them are new tools. And some of them are uh, so new we don't even know how to say them kind of tools. But at the core is a connection from somebody who knows Jesus. I don't think I've told you all about my friend Harry Mathis. Harry was a military compadre uh, that I met in Cheyenne, Wyoming, a very long time ago now. And we shared the same kind of job. And our job required us to travel to remote intercontinental ballistic missile silos around the uh, southern Wyoming, western Nebraska, northern Colorado. There was kind of uh, an area there. So we, we traveled hundreds of miles in really comfortable Air Force trucks with all kinds of delightful devices that could distract us. No. It was just a truck. It had a steering wheel and a gear shift and a brake pedal and a gas pedal and a bench you could sit on. It was a truck. It was painted blue. It said U.S. Air Force on the side of it. So there was really nothing to do in these trucks except talk. And I got to know Harry really well. And I saw him across the full range of the emotional spectrum. Mad, sad, glad, bad, didn't matter. But at the core of who he was, I knew something was different about him. And so I asked him hundreds of questions. And I didn't know along the way that this Harry, was, Harry Mathis was praying for me. And so one day... I was in a Safeway store in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and there was a poster on the bulletin board talking about a a traveling evangelist. You've heard of these guys and gals, right? 
His name was Lowell Lundstrom. He and his family had this kind of musical gospel thing they did. And so he was coming to town, coming to Cheyenne. So the next day I saw Harry at work. I just sort of casually mentioned, hi, I saw this flyer about this guy. Harry said, I'll take you. It was only because I knew him and trusted him and believed him and knew that he had my best interests at heart that I said, okay, and we went. And that evening was the night I first made a purposeful commitment to Christ. You can be somebody's Harry Mathis. I mentioned Mary's Bob to you earlier. Well, Mary is this little spitfire of a you-cannot-hold-her-down kind of person who just uh, sets a mind to doing stuff and gets it done. We had built a new church building, and it was three stories high. And the inside of the foyer looked up to all of those stories. But there were glass glass windows. Of course, there were glass windows. There were windows looking out to the front of the church. And uh, they had to regularly be cleaned. Mary rents one of these people lift things and crawls into this little bucket thing and uses little power remote control and lifts herself up there 35 feet in the air. And she's cleaning those windows away. I'm thinking, I don't think I'd go up there. But she did. That's the kind of person she was. But she was quiet in other ways. And, and one day, some people moved in next to her and Bob. And the young woman who moved in, her name was Jill. And Mary got to know Jill over time. And as she got to know Jill over time, they had this relational connection. And in the course of that relational connection, Mary realized that Jill needed Jesus in her life. And so one day, quietly over coffee, Mary just shared, and she told me later, I was scared to death. But Jill heard what Mary had to say and accepted Jesus into her life. You should have seen the thrill on Mary's face when she told me that story. You can be somebody's Mary. I don't know if you remember the story from the book of 1 Samuel about David. He's going to go out and he's going to take on Goliath. Goliath has been a bad, bad boy. He's been taunting the Israelite army. He's been saying, anybody think you can take me? You come on out, you can take me, whatever. And so David shows up. He's a little shepherd boy, probably a teenager at the time. Um, And uh, in 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 the face of Goliath, David appears pretty diminutive. He's a small kind of guy in the face of Goliath. So David says, who's who's going to take this guy? And his brothers and all the other guys in the army are going, well, um, we, we, we don't know. David says, I'll take him. Sure, David. Of course, you'll take him. <laughs> Go back home, little boy. No, no, seriously, I'll take him, David says. So David gets summoned into the presence of, of King Saul. And King Saul, who, you know, had uneven days later on in his life, at, at this point he says, well, if this boy wants to go take on Goliath, by golly, I'll let him go. Here, David, here, why don't you, when you go to the fight, to, to fight Goliath, here, take my armor, put it on. You've seen these pictures, right, of little kids who dress up in their dad's or mom's clothes, the sleeves are hanging down and the shoes are too big. They can barely move. Uh, they stick on a hat that comes down over their ears because it's too big for their heads. This is the picture of David wearing King Saul's armor. So he's clanking around in his armor. 
that's too big for him. And he says this in 1 Samuel 17, I cannot go in these because I am not used to them. Clank, clank, thud, thud. The message translation says this, I can't even move with all this stuff on me. I'm not used to this. See, David could and did take on Goliath, but David had to take on Goliath in the way that God had equipped David to do it. So, we ought not dismiss the urgency of the task. We do have seeds to sow. But we cannot diminish the necessity and joy of, I said joy, I I meant joy, of doing the task the way God has designed us to do it. Even my granddaughter had that figured out when she was one. So, last week, I gave you an assignment. Do you remember? Three letters, remember? P-R-I. Here's what it is. P-R-I. Pray, relate, invite. Pray for those in your circles of acquaintance that you know do not have a connection with Jesus. Relate to them in meaningful ways so that they can see they can see that we're genuinely interested in them. We're not just keeping some kind of scorecard. And then we invite them into our lives, into our faith. Invitation into our lives has been incredibly difficult over the last 16 months. No kidding. But man, it's getting better. Pray, relate, and invite. We can do this. We can do this. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where the church is in its church life or history. It doesn't matter where the church is in its transition from one pastoral team to the next. None of that matters. What matters is the eternal truth of the gospel that Jesus has said to us. Come to me. All you who are heavy burdened and I will give you rest. Don't you know people who need rest? Real rest. Jesus. Pray, relate, and invite. We can do this. Pray with me.